is my plea. Daily walking close to thee, let it be, dear Lord, let it be. Please join me in prayer. God of love and wonder in all creation, we thank you so much for shaking up our hearts, shaking up our minds, and opening the doors so that we may see our neighbors, so that we may see your presence in all those around us. Help us be your servants. Help us define that beauty of love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. <laughs> <laughs> so a nice little dose of chaos for us today. I like it. I like it. We've had some moving around. It won't be like that every day, so soak it up. Well, we have it. We got, I've got my little uh, altar guild helper here, Sophie. This is, uh, this is actually our dog, which is kind of awesome that she's so up here with us. Um, I, love, I, I love days like this uh, where <laughs> we get to, to kind of get out of our comfort zone a little bit. Um, uh, you know, so many of us uh, have this deep connection with our pets or with the natural world, and uh, I love that we get to honor that connection. Like, there's, there aren't many times in the church calendar wh where we really get to, to dive into that, and today is, today is one of them. Often, you know, we're caught up in just the busyness of life. We forget the deep connection of who we are and how we relate to all those who are around us. Uh, this, this Wednesday, I was, I was caught up in that kind of busyness. I was, I was working hard on this, this grant application for St. Mike's, and I was, I, it was one of those days where I just didn't have enough hours to really get everything done. You know, you guys had, had some of those. Um, I was working hard in my office, and right above my office, I hear this crash. I'm like, what? What just landed on my roof or what just happened? Like, so I go outside and just as I go outside, swoop, this hawk comes down right in front of me. Its tail feathers almost touched my face, just like right down in front of me. Swooped down and came down under my office over in that corner of that building and it swooped down under the, um, under the redwood trees there and up onto a sycamore and, and, perched, and, and perched in such a way that it was looking right at me. And I was looking right at it, and we had this, it was just one of those strange moments where I'm like, you know, two seconds ago, I'm like trying to figure out the font size on, on this application, and, and suddenly I'm like looking face to face with this wild creature. <laughs> um, it, had, it had this uh, like black striped tail feathers and uh, black shoulders, and, and I had not seen this kind of hawk before. I was, I was kind of stumped, so I was like, okay. I really, I really want to sneak back inside and get my phone and take a picture <laughs> so I can identify it. Is anybody into that? Like, I love bird identification. And uh, yeah, I'm a big dork. Um, and so, so I ran back inside to get my phone. So I, I like, kind of like, you know, scooted back inside to get my phone. And, uh, and I, I went and, and I got the phone. And just as I got back to take the picture, it jumps off of the branch and flies out over, over this open, the open space here and over the chapel. It's beautiful. I actually I got a picture of it flying over the chapel. And I'll, I'll post it up on, uh, on Facebook later today um, just so you can see what, what it was like. But it was, it was just one of those magic moments where um, this beautiful interaction with the wild took me out of that isolated 
mindset, that administrative mindset, and connect me with the magic of the world beyond my mind. Much like religious ceremony, interactions with the wild, with nature, have the ability to reorient me to something profound. Something both within me and beyond me. You could call it the capital T truth, you could call it capital S self, or you could call it God. No matter how you articulate it, the fact is that many of us are most aware of our connection with the ground of our being when we are in nature. I think that is one of the enduring sentiments uh, that make the life and memory of St. Francis of Assisi so meaningful. You know, it's, <laughs> this is kind of funny. Popular culture depicts St. Francis as kind of like Dr. Doolittle, right? He's always got animals around him. You, I think we even have one of those stone statues, thanks Bob, <laughs> that has uh, him with some animals. But St. Francis was much, much more than that. Born in Italy in 1811, Francis lived in an age where the, urge, the church's political power was arguably at its height. This was the period of the Crusades. The, the church the church had just instigated a multinational war. <laughs> oh, man, horrible. Francis was part of all that. He was on his, while he was on his way to war, uh, Francis had a revelation. He turned around and chose a life of poverty and preaching on the streets. And later, he faced his own fear of, of lepers by embracing them. He had this fear of the sick, and particularly lepers, and, he just, he, and God called him to actually go and live with them and, and to, to be with them in all that they were enduring. He chose a life of poverty and simplicity and taught others to do the same. He even convinced the Pope to accept his band of misfit followers as an official order, which saved them from being killed. As heretics. He made the first nativity set. We don't often think about St. Francis in that regard, but he made the first nativity set, and he so embodied the life and teachings of Jesus that he was also the first one to receive the stigmata. That's part of his legend. He was the first to, to have that, that notion, the mark, bear the marks of Jesus' crucifixion in his flesh. Throughout his life, Francis broadened our understanding of neighbor and God in such a way that our perception of human identity ballooned. Being human, in particular being a follower of Jesus, was not just about going to church and doing things the way that they've always been done. Francis showed how being human meant being connected to animals, to nature, to the sun, the moon, the sick, the poor, he taught that God is present and works through everything around us. Whether it's the spirit moving over the surface of the deep, as we heard in the Genesis reading this morning, or the bright light of redemption coming from in the form of a baby whose yoke is easy and whose burden is light. Through his life and legacy, Francis restores us to the sort of connection that Jesus taught, love of God and love of all neighbors. Ironically, he did that by cultivating simplicity. He lived a life of poverty. Much like the gospel today suggests, Francis took a humble path. 
humble path that blossomed into greatness. Let's take a look at this passage. Let's look at this gospel portion. First, we have the mustard seed. I think many of us here know that because we have the mustard seed practice at the end of every week. Um, I, think, I think, though, we might have skimmed over the significance. Jesus is saying it's not the amount of faith that matters. Any amount of faith is enough, even the smallest seed. What, you, what matters is where you put your faith. A few years ago, the writer David Foster Wallace gave a commencement speech at Kenyon College called This is Water. Some of you are nodding your heads. I think some of you have probably seen it. It's a, it's a really profound uh, speech. But the gist of the talk is that we all worship something. Whether we know it or not, we dedicate our minds and hearts to loving, thinking about, and ultimately serving something. He says, there's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. If you worship money and things, then you will never have enough. You worship your own body and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. Worship Power, and you will feel weak and afraid, and you will need ever more power over others to keep that fear at bay. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, and you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, and always on the verge of being found out. Like it or not, what we worship and how defines us or to put it in a Christian context, a Franciscan context, how we love God and neighbor shapes who we are. That's why the last portion of this gospel passage is so important. It's important, but it's not easy to approach this metaphor in our context The legacy of slavery changes how we hear this passage. Unless we relegate that history of slavery to some far and distant south or to other countries or other times, let's remember that this very town was built and reshaped by slavery in the mission setting. I recently came across some writing from a a French aristocrat um, who was living and running plantations in Haiti and traveled through California at the time of the missions. This aristocrat, um, and for those who don't know, in Haiti was among the, the, the toughest of, of the slave conditions in the colonies, arguably in the world. This aristocrat visited the missions in Monterey and Santa Barbara and said the conditions and treatments of the native peoples were, were worse than in Haiti. Point being, we have our own history of slavery. We can and do bring those histories to these passages, just as Jesus' followers would have. You know that there were followers of Jesus that were slaves, that were enslaved. In this particular passage, Jesus is likely talking to the rich. He is teaching the powerful who come to him how to live into the service of God and neighbor without being too proud of that work, too self-congratulatory of what they are doing in helping others. But to hear Jesus' message, I think we have to rephrase it. I think because of all all that we have, I think we have to modernize 
modernize this teaching a little bit. Let's think about it this way. When was the last time you took your mechanic to lunch? Do you ever invite your IT person or the trash collector to dinner? Do you write thank you notes to the med tech who checks your blood pressure? You probably don't, right? Those people just do their job. Because that is who they are. Their job is to serve in that capacity, like our pets, whose job is to be in relationship with us. It's not their only job, but that is part of how we honor them. Part of how we relate to them is in that deep relationship. They are made, they live in relationship with us. For us to be who we are, Jesus is saying we have to work. We have to work. Thomas Merton articulates this in his New Seeds for Contemplation. He says, Our vocation is not simply to be, but to work together with God in creation of our own life, our own identity, our own destiny, to work out our identity in God. That search for identity is a struggle. But those struggles are crucial because, quote, it is in them that God, bearing God's self, in God's self, the secret of who I am, begins to live in me, not only as my creator, but as my other and true self. It is in God, in relationship to this ever-expanding universe, that we find our true selves. What Merton and Wallace and Francis and Jesus are saying is, be who you are. Be who you want to be, be who God is calling you to be, and don't do it for praise or fame or money. Don't do it out of fear or jealousy or emptiness. Do it for love. Because you are made of love. Every one of us is made of love, and the love that made you made all things. The more we embody that love, the more we can recognize that love in everything around us. Sarah came across a great piece of writing this week from Meister Eckhart that I think sums up this very Franciscan idea of discovering ourselves by attending to the world around us. It goes like this. Apprehend God in all things, for God is in all things. Every single creature is full of God and is a book about God. Every creature is a word of God. If I spent enough time with the tiniest creature, even a caterpillar, I would never have to prepare a sermon so full of God is every creature. Amen.